Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Chris Lutke. Listeners, scholars, brothers, this is Brother Chris Leakey, and today I want to explore masonry and the Enlightenment. And here we're on to part two. So last time we talked about deism, the religion of nature, as it relates to these very Enlightenment ideas, as they relate to the development of ideas of morality in Freemasonry. And again, I'm looking at this in terms of almost looking back in a children's photo album. Going back and looking at those earliest ideas. We may not agree with all of them today, but they were key to the formation of the craft. Many of these ideas, as we're looking at them, are coming out of England. And coming out of the religious strife so inherent in England at the time between Christians and Protestants. We have a issues with the monarchy, we have issues with people in power, we have everyone from Cromwell getting involved and getting rid of things like Christmas, etc., to uh, the restoration under Charles II. We're going to get into a little bit of monarchy, we're going to get a little into uh, things here a little deeper when it comes to English politics and how it plays in to some of the ideas of the Enlightenment. And again, I'm looking at uh, several articles which I talked about in episode one. Uh, One from the Springfielder. This is a religious article. It's written from a Lutheran perspective, basically arguing in part that masonry does not necessarily correspond well with Christianity. That being said, remember the attentive ear and the instructive tongue. Sometimes we can find useful information from the most unlikely of sources. And in this author's explanation of what's going on with masonry, religion, the Enlightenment, he actually explores a lot of ideas that are really a fantastic launching point for this discussion. And just a reminder that I'm doing this very, very live. Well, I mean by very, very live. Uh, Basically, I have the sources in front of me. I'm going through them with you. There is no script in front of me for exactly what's happening. That being said, let's get into some of these ideas. And just a reminder, the Enlightenment is this time where people are, instead of looking at knowledge from on high, they're turning to observation. This is where we're seeing the development of the scientific method. This is where we're seeing ideas of uh, Locke and Smith and others trying to explain why elements of the world work the way they do trying to explain it through observation, through direct scientific experimentation, rather than looking at it through the lens of religion. Just because the church says something doesn't mean people are taking it seriously here. With that all in mind, let's get back into it. And here, what I want to deal with is sort of some of the other larger ideas of the Enlightenment and how they're impacting Freemasonry. One of the aims of the Enlightenment was to raise man from his low social estate by freeing him from superstition and tyranny, and so giving him that happiness that he deserved as a rational being. 
there was an optimism about the Enlightenment, a belief that man and society were progressing towards perfection. All that was needed was to learn the laws of nature and then conform to them. These were the ideas that were pursued by the French philosophies that eventually prepared the way for both the American and French revolutions. In this respect, Masonry was also an expression of the Enlightenment, for it preached the universal brotherhood of man and worked towards the end of establishing, towards the end, that end, by establishing a fraternity that would make that brotherhood a reality. Throughout the charges of a Freemason, a Mason is spoken of as a brother, and the Lodge is a brotherhood or fraternity. The members are reminded to call themselves by no other name than brother or fellow. In the last charge on behavior, and this is from Anderson's uh, Constitution, 1723, it is stressed repeatedly that they are to treat each other as brothers and live as brothers. Now, why is this important in the Enlightenment? What has happened in Europe following the Black Plague starting in about 1347, to get into a bit of a history lesson, is you see one-third to one-half, anywhere from 25 to 50% of the European population dies. And we move from the feudal system, where you have to serve a noble lord, to really the employer system, the labor system that we see today. The reason is suddenly labor becomes far more expensive. And they can move from farm to farm, from uh, noble house to noble house, without concern, because there's always a shortage of labor. What this does is it sparks the idea, and a couple of hundred years later, we see it developing in the Enlightenment, that man of any class should be able to take advantage of social mobility. In other words, through their own efforts and work, they should be able to move up in society. And that's what we're getting at here. This idea that the church and this hierarchical society that is created during the Middle Ages just doesn't work anymore. And so masonry comes in and says, hey, everyone's equal. It's a meritocracy. We refer to each other as brother. And that is revolutionary. It is unique to that period and to masonry very much so. The reason it's unique is it removes that entire social class system. As you walk into the lodge, you know you're among equals. It doesn't matter if you're sitting next to someone who makes 20000 a year or $20 million a year. You could sit in lodge with a billionaire and someone who works for a utility company and someone who's an academic and someone who's a repairman and it doesn't matter we're all equal and that really goes against the hierarchy of the church specifically more specifically the catholic church which teaches that there is this hierarchy in society especially in the middle ages and this is where context becomes important because we have to put ourselves in the time period otherwise it sounds like we're just directly attacking this one thing in this case the church which masonry is not masonry is going after society they're trying to create something more perfect more beautiful more universal something beyond the religious strife of protestant versus catholic that surrounds them on a daily basis 
In the last charge on behavior is stressed repeatedly that they are to treat each other as brothers, uh, which we kind of touched on already. It is no doubt true, therefore, that the average Mason of the 18th century shared in the optimism of his age and hoped that through his fraternity, he may usher in the age of universal brotherhood, which the cosmopolitan spirit of the Enlightenment fostered. It remains yet to be shown how Masonry has not changed. It advocates and maintains that its religious and moral teachings are the same as those put forth in Anderson. So it's kind of interesting uh, as we deal with some of those ideas. Now, getting to Dara, Dara summarizes the ideals of the Enlightenment in a striking way. As he says that Mason, that the Mason is taught to see God in everything, to behold him in every page of nature's book, to use reason for his lamp, education for his guide, and humanity as his chief interest. Mackey speaks of the universalism of Masonic religion in these words, quote, its religion is the general one of nature and primitive revelation in which all men may agree and in which no man can differ. Newton's book, The Religion of Masonry, is filled with references to masonry as the universal religion, the religion of nature. A few brief quotations would be sufficient to illustrate, quote, masonry rests upon and lives and builds in the assurance of the existence of a universal moral and spiritual world, whose laws are as real, as reliable as the laws of the physical order in which we live. To him, the Bible itself is a symbol, as it is used by the Lodge. Masonry teaches, quote, us to revere every book of faith in which man has found light and help and hope. Furthermore, brotherhood, quote, is not a mere detail of religion, but its essence and its glory. And the golden rule is the principle by which it may be realized. Ward also expresses this universalism, that masonry holds that there are but many paths to lead to the throne of the Father, which all start from a common source. Also, the idea of the enlightenment that man and society are capable of reaching perfection is part of Masonic teaching. By the way, that's unique too. If you look at late Middle medieval uh, and Renaissance church doctrine, especially during the post uh, the post Reformation, the Counter Reformation, excuse me, the Counter Reformation period, we see this idea that most people are sinners. Most people will not see the beauty of heaven. Masonry, amongst other ideas, they're coming out of England at the time in this period of the 16th, 17th, 18th century, uh, is unique in that we see that all men are capable of reaching perfection. Thus, one of its exponents says clearly that it does not teach, quote, that human nature is a depraved thing, like the ruin of a once proud building. So also in the lecture directed to the entered apprentice, he is reminded that he who enters the order as a rough stone can be adjusted by the working tools into a perfect stone. Furthermore, all of this reminds us of the state of perfection at which we hope to arrive by virtuous education 
our own endeavors and the blessing of deity. Another Masonic writer puts it very plainly when he says that human nature is perfectible by an intensive process of purification and initiation. Why am I talking about this? Because here, Masonry is doing something unusual. It's taking man and judging him not by his material possessions, but by his character, by his ability, by his merit. These are not things that would have been heard of at the time. You cannot be a peasant but very intelligent and move up in society in England in the 17th and 18th centuries. It doesn't happen. And yet, in a period where predestination, the idea that you will go to heaven or hell, and it's already been predetermined and there's nothing you can do about it. Very common Protestant teaching at the time, not all Protestants, but the Calvinists amongst others do teach it. In a world with predestination, a world where you're born into a class and you cannot change it, masonry uniquely comes out and says, you can If you put in sufficient effort, if you work every day to perfect your spiritual stone, then you can find perfection. Maybe not in this world, but if you constantly fight for it, you will in the next. And that is so unique at the time. It sets us apart. But there's something else that sets us apart. Uh, The tie of Freemasonry to science, here I'm working from uh, some material from 1723constitutions.com, which is brilliant. It's a whole website about Anderson's 1723 constitutions, who wrote them, who was involved. It's a brilliant piece. So, they wrote on Freemasonry and science. I'm going to kind of paraphrase a lot of this. But 18th century English Freemasonry, so 1700s, was associated closely with education and science. A crossover in membership with the Royal Society, in this case the Royal Society of Science, and the prominent position of de Sagle, D-E-S-A-G-U-L-I-E-R-S. De Sagle is a natural philosopher, basically a scientist. If you've been to Philadelphia, you've probably seen the American uh, Natural Philosophy Society or Natural Philosophers Society. And natural philosopher is basically a 18th century term for scientist as opposed to a philosopher who is someone who's looking at morals, ethics, and sort of the workings of the human mind. But this led several lodges to become forums for education and debate. Scientific lectures were fashionable and a powerful draw for the aspirational, whether aristocrat or in the middle class. And notice I say middle class, there weren't really too many working class masons at the time. The fees to get in were high. It was seen as something that tended to be higher class. Uh, The change to allowing more middle class people into, or working class people, into Freemasonry really is a reaction to the anti-Masonic party in the 19th century, where they broaden their appeal and uh, change the view of what is Masonry. 
So historians have described such lectures as theater of the upper classes, albeit that this tends to underplay the utilitarian aspects of these scientific, these 18th century scientific advancements. Practical natural philosophers such as de Sagle, uh, described as arguably the most successful scientific lecture of the century, applied science to resolve commercial problems and develop realistic ideas to generate income. They were integral to the process of wealth creation and the momentum that drove Britain's innovations in agriculture, mining, and manufacturing. But Newtonian science was more than just utilitarian. It also had philosophical dimensions. De Sagle's success in delivering lectures across Europe represented the ascendancy of Newtonianism with its emphasis on rational scientific observation and a universe governed by comprehensible laws rather than Descartes' innate knowledge and the religious uh, dictate of the established church. Newtonianism also championed the benefits of constitutional government over autocracy, something made clear in several poems and writings by de Sagle and others. Although only a small number of early 18th century lodgements survive, those that do provide evidence that it was customary in many lodges for members, whether hobbyists or professionals, to share their knowledge via lectures in such of the sciences as shall be thought to be the most agreeable to the society. An unambiguous example is the lodge at King's Arms Tavern in the Strand, the King's Arms was renowned for its lectures and for promoting the general design in the grand design in a general conversation. The earliest extant minute book covering 1733 to 56 and records 36 lectures in the decade to 1743. Seven concerning human physiology, the functioning of the human body, some of which included dissections. Could you imagine a dissection in a lodge? Six of these lectures were on ethics, five on architecture, three on what are called industrial processes. Nine examined different scientific inventions, techniques, and apparatus, while others explored a broad range of topics from art and history to mathematics. They included a talk by Robert West, a portraitist, on, quote, some evident faults in the cartoons, cartones, cartoons, of Raphael, and another by Isaac Ware, an architect, later secretary of the Board of Works, on Andrea Palladino. And Palladino is particularly important because he is going to be very influential on Jefferson and gives us this American uh, neoclassicism that we see in buildings like the U.S. Capitol building originally designed by Jefferson. But that's an aside. Ware was also a member of Thornville's St. Martin's Lane Academy, refounded by Hogarth uh, in 1735. In addition to Martin Clare, a leading educator and mathematician, we see members of the King Arms, including William Graham, a surgeon, a fellow physician, Edward Hody, and James Douglas, all four are members of the Royal Society. Martin Clare's philosophical approach to education is set out in his discourse, a speech given to the quarterly communication of the Grand Lodge in England on 11 December 
35. Quote, The chief pleasure of society, vis-a-vis good conversation and consequent improvements, are rightly presumed to be the principal motive of our first entering into then propagating the craft. We are intimately related to those great and worthy spirits who have ever made it their business and aim to improve themselves and inform mankind. Let us then copy their example that we may also hope to attain a share in their praise. Other lodges had similar programs to that at King's Arms. Although only incomplete records exist, the Grand Steward's Lodge, quote, entertained their visitors with a diversity of knowledge, including natural philosophy and dissertations on the laws and properties of nature. Lectures were also held at the Lodge of Fellowship meeting at the Shakespeare's Head in Little Marlborough Street. Martin Clare spoke there in 1737, and eight lectures were given in the following year, with topics ranging from astronomy to optics. The minutes also record lectures in 1739 to 41. Other lodges thought to have done the same include the Swan and Rummer in Finch Lane and others. Constituted in 1725, its surviving first minute book is the oldest in existence. Lectures were also given in the provinces, including the Nags Head uh, Lodge in South Wales, the Sarsons Head in Lincoln, and at lodges in Northern England, some of whose members later formed a dissecting academy based on a lodge. European lodges offer similar evidence of Freemasonry as an educational force in the broadest sense, both philosophical and scientific. What they're doing, they're arguing here, is that even in the early years of masonry, during this Enlightenment period, people are going to lodge. They're going to have a lodge meeting that would be short on business. We're going to pay our bills. We're going to do a couple of things. But then they're going to spend most of the evening, and we're not talking a one-hour meeting. We're talking something that would go on for the entire evening with a presentation, sometimes from an outside speaker, sometimes from a member. It might be a discovery. It might be a topic of interest. And they're coming in, they're talking about things like optics, science, but also the arts, human physiology. We see dissections. By the way, public dissections are becoming in vogue at the time because people want to be educated. You probably have discussions of astronomy and other things happening in Open Lodge. When we talk about masonry as really the first college, this is where it's coming from. Think about the middle chamber if you've ever experienced that. The staircase and what it's telling you to do. They were doing it. They're telling us to do it because it's part of the Enlightenment ideals. To improve ourselves in the sciences, in the arts, in philosophy, in literature, so that we can rise in station in the meritocracy and the universal brotherhood that masonry so desperately wants to create in England, in the U.S., in Europe at the time. I mean, this is the entire foundation of things. They aren't arguing over whether or not to replace a dishwasher. They're arguing about whether or not gravity should be seen in a specific equation, or they're arguing the next week about industrial processes. For example, how to turn iron into steel. And you go, that's remarkable. 
but we could never do that. Well, think about your own lodge meetings. You could have someone talking about any number of things. Maybe someone can talk to you about the intricacies of insurance. Now, that's not necessarily considered an intellectual pursuit, but it does work towards that self-improvement that is so key to the enlightenment. Or maybe the next time you have someone talking to you about their experience with Boy Scouts or how to give a speech or, heck, how to clean paint out of any given surface using the right solvent. Who knows what it's going to be? And the ones here are, of course, the big highlight ones, but you can imagine there are smaller ones. A lawyer talking about wills, estates, and inheritance. Or someone talking about the history of marriage. Or someone talking about a mathematical concept. Our ideas, as laid out, especially in the middle chamber, very much come from the Enlightenment. And that's why I wanted to show you here. We embody those ideals as Masons. The universality of man, the idea of the scientific method, observation, and curiosity, the idea of self-improvement, and the idea that man can self-improve, that we are not predestined to some fate beyond our control. That's the power of Masonry. And that is what's coming from the Enlightenment. Thank you for joining me, Brother Chris Leakey, and the entire the light team on your quest to find more light through masonry are you interested in learning more about freemasonry in wisconsin visit wisconsinmasons.org to learn more about masonry and access further educational content and more light once again that address is wimasons.org any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wisconsinmasons.org. And thank you for listening.